Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 165 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian Angelo. Double Density is your home to tick tales and paranormal problems. Now, first things first, Angelo, sup? Hi, how are you? I am well, oh, how are you? Good, I feel like we just talked. We're like recording I know. every week again? Very What's strange. going on, Brian? I know. I feel like this summer, like, um, 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 uh, the essence of summer is within me, Angelo, I think. That's, that's where I'm at right now. You're feeling good? You're in a good place? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, uh, you know, it's like sunshine. I'm like uh, fighting with people on Twitter again. It's like I've, I've reawakened. I think I think Chris was an inspiration to you last week. I mean, Chris was definitely like part of the inspiration. Thank you once again to uh, Dr. Chris Cogswell of the Mad Scientist Podcast for coming on last week. That was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, vibing off that in the paranormal section, we're going to cover some of the <laughs> the dumpster fire that is to be alive and into UFO slash UAP in 2021. But uh, before that, Angelo, you want to talk about one of your little pet things that you love talking about. I'm going to let you uh, take the floor here to talk about lossy slash lossless uh, audio while I quietly tune out. Well, we keep talking about this, and it's come up. It's It's been a thing. People are freaking out. They're very excited that Apple added uh, high-res music and all that. And you, you, Brian is literally leaving his desk. Oh, he, he came back, and, uh, and he's back. He's put his headphones back on. So like he, he really tunes out when we talk about lossy and lossless. What the reason you tune out is because you don't really care. You don't really hear a difference at all, do you? No, no. and like the, I am someone who has spent a lot of time playing around in the audio world. I work for a startup that does online mastering. Like I, I, I'm well aware of this, and I also um, know how much of a racket a lot of this is. We've discussed this uh, continually. Um, though you may have unearthed some new evidence about well, audio files. Not, well, well, okay. I was going around, and the, I think we've talked about this, but the the idea popped in my head as wondering, because we know we've been talking about mental health. Mental health has really been important over the last year and a half because people have been mainly stuck at home with their own thoughts. And uh, I know we've gone through, like, you know, you're at home wondering what's going on, and everything becomes amplified. So I'm wondering, and no, no pun intended with the amplification thing there, although that I'm pretty proud of that, I guess. That is one, and I will allow you to have it. Okay. Well, what if audiophiles like have a form of OCD? Just like, um, okay, so let's unpack this for a sec. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, I came across, and I literally looked up, is uh, being an autophile a mental illness? I, I literally Googled that. And one of the top websites that came up was a, um, a blog post from... Uh, 2016 by somebody named Robert Dean. No, no, I want you to read the website's name first. Let's start with I that. can't. I didn't. I, I, oh, man. Constantine Sue's Dagogo, a unique yeah. audio no, no, experience. No, I meant the URL. I meant the URL. Dagogo.com. Dagogo.com. Okay. I just want you to say Dagogo.com. Is that so wrong? Did you just rhyme? I, this could be a song. Inadvertently, yes. Well, look, he talks about the obsessive compulsive audiophile and how it can lead down a road of just becoming obsessive. And I, I've caught myself doing this. I kind of get like this with my home network. Oh, really? Or any kind of tech gadget that you encounter? Really? Yeah, exactly. Except with like audiophile stuff. I could not care less. Although... I think there's also a large price act attached with that you're not ready to pay, which is also, I think, if a lot of the stuff were cheaper, I think you'd buy into it. I know. Well, I, I for one, thought the HomePods were expensive, and Audiophile was like, 400 bucks each? Who cares? That's a joke. I had to wait until they were on sale or got birthday money from my parents. <laughs> Literally. Yes, that's exactly what I did. I waited two years, and then they discontinued them. 
look, I, I, I was just, before we recorded, I, I don't have my headphones on, so I said, let me try hearing a difference. So I played the new Lord single on Apple Music at Lossless, and I had it running at the same time in YouTube Music, which I think YouTube uses 320 MP3s, if I'm not mistaken. And I think maybe I heard a difference, but the fact that I have to say I think maybe means that there's hardly a difference at all. And well, look, I was going to say, it might be a placebo effect because you know of the sources of each. Yes, and when I did the actual ABX test, which they, you know, experts say is the best way to decide if you actually do have an ear that can hear the difference, uh, my, my answers were basically random. <laughs> so you just cheaple here. Well, audio like cheaple. My, my highest uh, rate was with a, a killer song, and I had like 80% where I got it right because the, you, do, you test the song five times and they they change what's what, right? You basically have an A and a B and an X, and you have to guess which of the A and B is the X. Oh, I see. Okay. So you just spend a lot of time doing this. Well, I did it for the podcast. Like, Oh, yeah, of course. Research. Research. Exactly. We're going to talk about research later. We're going to talk about a lot of research later. Yeah, and look, the, the way it's been explained, and I, there's plenty of videos and articles out there explaining it, but you, you have different bit rates and different sample rates, and with... Apple Music, for example, the standard uh, quote-unquote high quality is 256 AAC, which stands for Advanced Audio Codec, I think. It's, it's a bit better than MP3 from what I understand, right? Like for Spotify to have the same uh, quality, they have to have a 320 uh, what, a kilohertz or no, not, not <laughs> 320 K... Uh, I don't they have to have Are a. Are you cape. rebooting right now? Yeah. Are you, uh, yeah. There's a little. Uh, I, I heard. I heard the Apple startup sound in your brain. Boom. Like I'm going to edit the the sound out, but I visibly heard that coming from your body. Okay, cool. Uh, what I was saying, Apple uses the AAC codec and uh, Spotify uses MP3s, and I think it's a higher uh, bit rate, but whatever. They sound pretty much identical, and now you can get a 24 bit up to like 192 kilohertz sample rate, which is basically what comes out of a studio. But one song is like 140 megs, as opposed to the six megs you get with a standard AAC file. So I won't lie to you right now. Um, um, we're recording this via video Skype, and the reactive button wants me to give you a thumbs up, but I'm not going to give you a thumbs up, Angelo. Does it like automatically do that? No, but it's like it's it's making the thumbs up motion in like if you open up the Skype window and I'm not going to give you a thumbs up on this because I feel like you continually say I don't know. Oh, you just gave me a full screen thumbs up. That is super distracting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like I feel like unless something major happens, I think we might need to close the book on talking about your adventures in well, uh, audiophilia. There's one last thing, and that's the uh, the Atmos music. And in many cases, it's which is which good. is different and better. Yes, it's there. You do hear a difference, be it better or worse, because uh, some have been have been mixed specifically for Atmos. Uh, for example, the uh, new Olivia Rodrigo album "Sour," which is excellent, sounds really, really good. So does the new Saint Vincent album, very good. But then there's other things I haven't heard it, but apparently uh, the um, Blink One Eighty Two. Uh, what's the what's their famous song? I can't think of it right now. There's a bunch of them. There's I Miss You, uh, and most of, uh, you know, Enemy of the States. Yeah, the one on that one. All the small things. Yeah, all the small things apparently sounds like <laughs> hot garbage. Sort of like uh, uh, th- like the UAP UFO uh, 
Twitterverse. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, like, have you ever listened to those like quote unquote like fake um, Beatles stereo mixes? Yeah, that are like hard pan and stuff that are just super distracting. Funny enough, uh, the remixes of Abbey Road from 2019 sound amazing in Atmos. They do. They actually, when they they re-released it, I listened to it and I found it to be a very um, a far superior mix to what was available before. Like a lot of the hard panning and a lot of the early stereo stuff is very distracting. Well, because, because they don't know what to do. Very, well, it's also gimmicky. Yeah, right? they they had no idea. Like the whole thing was when when George Martin got a hold of stereo, he's like, "What is this garbage?" He'd rather mix in mono because that's what they were used to, and it was pretty gimmicky back then. They had to give it some time to figure it out. I may decide to edit a podcast episode where we do hard pan stereos or like I'll do like a, a like a 60 40 mix for each of us. Oh, great. And like I'll send it to you and you'll get real angry. about I, it. I love when podcasts do that. It's my favorite thing ever. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to send you well, a thank heart. Thank you for giving me a heart <laughs> on, on Skype video chat, Angela. Thank you. Apple is actually doing that. Well, actually, we, did we even, have we even talked about WWDC? We, it was like, no, we haven't. It was just uh, done this past week. And Apple did say that they're going to have uh, spatial audio in FaceTime. So if you're talking to multiple people, you'll hear sort of from that end of the spectrum where the cool. Voice so I'll get from. I'll get my mom on one end, my dad on the other in the corner. Yeah. Hopefully, like they're spatially correct. I'm very interested um, in dealing with that. Um, moving on from your undying love to audio to my undying love of collecting things, because as you know, I uh, you can see behind me, I have bookshelves, bookcases. Um, so I recently ordered. Well, I can see behind you. The listeners cannot. Oh, right. Well, you know, just imagine bookcases. Yeah, go right? to our, our Twitch uh, site. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Twitch site. Interesting. Uh, you're showing your age. Uh, Angelo, if you had to, like, it. start a Twitch channel, what would you do? Would you do illusions? Would you be one of those, like, uh, uh, performance uh, illusion boys? I don't know. I want you to think about that. I'm going to come back to you because we're probably going to record something next week. So I want you to think about that. I want you to come back to me. Um, um, uh, illusion adjacent? No, not really. So I recently... Name a, name a card, I, Brian. Name a card. Any card. Well, we'll talk about that in a second because I do, I'm holding a card right now and this is going to actually tie into a story. Okay. Um, so I try to avoid buying from Amazon as much as possible. We've talked about Bezos being the devil, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so I recently ordered an out of print uh, comic collection from uh, a comic book store in the States from eBay. And, you know, it shows up. So yesterday morning, the bell rings, the delivery guy brings it, I, you know, to the door. I, great. I open it up. Sure enough, it's the book. Perfect. Ten minutes later, he rings the bell again oh and so i'm very confused so i come to the door and he goes i think i gave you the wrong package because i have one here for you and he's holding up a second package and i go no i just opened it it's mine so he's like here's a second package and the way it was shaped it was very small so it literally looked like you know when you order something and get like a very thick packing slip it literally looked like that okay yeah so i open it up and in there i'm gonna hold this up to you is a random ccg so collectible card game card from a mid-90s game called legend of the five rings, Angelo. So in the mid nineties, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but collectible card games were all the rage, but unlike now when there are select few, there were thousands of them. Do you remember that at all? Uh, well, Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember people playing magic when I was in college, like all the time. Like there was like a, there was like an X-Files one. There was Marvel's overpower. Um, so this is a card named the ancestral sword of crane clan. And on there is a sticker for $39.99. I'm not quite sure if that is the price or not because I uh, did something uh, I usually don't ever do. I went to check out my cards, which is kind of like an online marketplace for buying and selling cards, and there were no listings for this. I checked eBay. There's nothing there. I think I managed to find the seller, but the very confusing thing is that the seller in my comic book store that I bought from are two very different entities located in different parts of the world. So how did that end up with you? 
I have no idea. That's the thing is I have this old card that someone probably paid money for. Who knows how much, right? Um, that I'm just holding here and I don't know what is to do. Is it haunted? It. You know, in the last day, I may have like dealt a little bit, um, you know, with like uh, strange circumstances and things like that. That's weird. Uh, but I just thought it was weird. This and, is really uh, you know, weird, though. Why is this? This should be in our paranormal segment. I, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but I will track the seller down eventually. It's just a question of like, um, you know, uh, 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 putting my brain to it because I've been busy um, sort of doing research for the paranormal side of things. But I just thought it was weird and I wanted to share with you because it is a card. It's not, you know, a card. And but it came from Amazon? Uh, eBay. Okay, it came from eBay. Okay. Yeah. And like, so, is there anything in your account showing that you nothing, ordered this? Nothing. Nothing at all. I uh, cut open the entire package of the card to see if there was a name or a slip, but it had my name on there. Did one of our listeners send it to you? I hope not. But, I mean, like, unless this listener live. also runs the, the comic book shop that I ordered from online through eBay, then, like, chances are probably not. Oh, this is really odd. It's just, it's it's mystifying. Um, so I figured I'd share that with you as a way of, like, because I know that you don't like surprises, and I figured this was a surprise that you could handle. But now, now you have to name a card. That's what I'm saying. I'm naming a card, the Ancestral Sword of the Crane Clan. Are you sure it's not the Eight of Hearts? No, oh, it is not. <laughs> I can guarantee that. Um, if anyone is an avid Legend of the Five Rings fan, uh, please tweet us at double underscore density. What's this? Kids with a cellular phone? Introducing Amigo from Cantel. We're sorry. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Double density. Well, that... Um... That's actually, I really think that should have been a paranormal story, Brian. What, mysterious packages that I'm getting? Yeah. No, there's too many parallels to like what the story we're going to talk about. Um, so there's a couple of quick things I want to talk about before moving to the paranormal section. One of them is, of course, um, your big daddy, um, your capitalist z- zaddy, um, Apple. Um, uh, there are certain uh, very angry uh, people about the App Store and the cut that they take. So I linked you to a thread uh, from one of the creators or uh, one of the co-founders of the FanHouse app, which is kind of like OnlyFans but safe for work, right? So what happens is that they get creators to sign off and it's all safe for work. It all conforms to what the App Store demands. And uh, what happens is that they give 90% of everything they earn to specific creators on there and then they take the 10% for administrative fees. But, of course, because of the App Store's demands of a 30% cut, it is ridiculous. Angelo, how do you defend capitalist Zadie Apple on this one? Well, I don't. Uh, I, I don't. We've been saying that their App Store practices have been unfair for a long time. They're turning into what they wanted to... They're turning into what like everybody was upset about Microsoft being in the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, and they're probably even worse. There's hardly any mention of this at WWDC. Like, this is for a developer conference, and their keynote this year was really odd. They spent a lot of time on weird things that had nothing to do with developers, like an inordinate amount of time on the health app, which I guess is good, but is nothing developer-centric, right? It was a lot of, uh, hey, let's pat ourselves on the back. We're really great about this. And... They seem to be like in denial that they're like almost the bad guys here. Not that Epic is great either, but no. Uh, I mean, but I mean, like on the, the larger side of things, um, it's all cream at the top. Um, my question to you, though, more so to the point, is that you keep supporting them financially, and how do you reconcile that? Because to me, like it seems kind of like, and I'll be honest with you, as someone who runs and owns a couple of Mac products, um, I've also pirated apps that are native to, uh, to Apple, and I'm not scared about saying that too much, due to the fact that I feel like um, subscription models for a lot of these things, uh, you know, combined with the failure of the App Store to properly um, ensure, like, do they really need 30% cut for every single app? No, no. they definitely but, don't, and I think they should be charging way less for 
smaller app developers. What are you doing about it? I can't do anything about it. Well, you can with your dollars. What am I... Okay, so what? I should switch to Windows? Well, no. How many HomePods have you bought in the last year? How many like non-essential items, like relatively non-essential items have you bought in the last year? Zero. Okay. Everything I own is essential, Brian. <laughs> no, I'm just being serious because I've definitely thought a lot about what I'm buying more and more as I continue. After this iPhone, I don't know what I'm, I'm going to do because I'd rather not continue to give Tim Apple all of my money when he screws over people who are um, good-hearted and want to make a difference in people's lives, and yet they demand an exorbitant amount of money just to exist yeah. and take space in an app store. The problem is, is anything you buy seems to be like that, right, in terms of major uh, devices, right? Uh, the Well, I, I guess Google Play is a bit different, right? Like the Google Store is slightly different, or is it the same type of model? I mean, it's it's a little less moderated, let's put it that way. Yeah. Start with. So... So there's a bit of they give up a bit of security there, but I feel like people should freedom. have the option to jailbreak their phones. I really don't care. Yeah, you know about that. Oh, also, I see that you've uh, you have a special uh, guest next to you, who's just joined us. Jesus, <laughs> she creeped right in. She if, does she want on? I don't know. Let me see. Angel is currently picking up his cat as I stare uh, longingly into his background. The cat is joining us live here. What do you think about ethical capitalism? There is no ethical consumption under capitalism, cat. Deal with it. There's nothing to say. No comment. <laughs> nothing. No comment. No comment at all. Um, does that mean that I can add Lollipop as a guest again? Yeah, I guess you can. Yeah. I mean, she's like a, got a nonverbal uh, Well, She hasn't um, said appearance. anything, though. No, but that's fine. She may in time. Um, but my whole point is this, like, like we are against these things, yet what are we actively doing about them on a consumer level? Not much. No, I know. Hold on. I can't get close enough to the microphone because the cat's on my lap. I'm stroking her like the evil genius Tim Cook. <laughs> Dr. Evil slash Tim Cook. I, I tend to wonder sometimes, how would have things been under Steve Jobs right now? Stinkier. Probably worse, right? I don't Stinkier. think Apple would be... Uh, they'd still be more niche than they are now. I don't disagree with that, but at the same time, I just, uh, you know, as we continue towards this, like, weird oligarchy of, like, media creation, consumption, and then also, like, r release, it's like it, the gated community grows ever so smaller as we continue, right? So it's just yet another thread where I was actively angry about this. I try not to buy um, apps on my iPhone if I can avoid it. If there's another way to give creators the money that they're searching for. Well, I'm the same with on my Mac. I rarely buy stuff from the app, Mac App Store. I, I'll go directly to the developer's website usually. Like, yeah, which I think is the better move. Yeah, I mean, for example, right now I'm using, um, I'm using Skype, which is from the small developer Microsoft, and I went straight to their website to get it. Uh, no, Indeed. but seriously, I'm using, I'm using Audio Hijack, and I go to... The, like, you can't even get Audio Hijack in the App Store because of what it has to do, right? Yeah. Exactly, which goes against what they're trying to protect from. Uh, it's a whole muddled mess. Um, all that to say, like, what does ethical consumption under a capitalist society look like? We're not quite sure. Um, all we know that it's not good as it continues onwards and upwards. It doesn't seem like they even want to address this because they're making so much money from the app store on a daily basis that it doesn't matter because people will keep showing up. Yeah, that's the problem. And I, what's going to have to happen is that the developers are going to have to leave. But the problem is they can't leave because they're kind of tied into the app store because that's how they make their livelihood. So it's... A horrible, horrible circle of of death. And also, like, like just to be honest with you, and you are well aware of this, jailbreaking an iPhone is a huge problem, too. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I don't really want to jailbreak my iPhone because of all the other problems. Like, I, I like that the iPhone is relatively secure. 
more so, I would say, than any other computing device, right? I mean, do you have your Huawei phone on you right now? No. No, okay, it's being well. tracked by somebody else, right? <laughs> like, but you, you can agree with that, right? That in terms of security, iPhones f- go towards the top of the list for computing devices. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, I agree with that, but I also wonder, like, how much wiggle room is there to allow for a more harmonious ecosystem to exist between uh, the creators that Apple needs in order to fill this marketplace of apps up? Definitely. They, they, sh- they need to... But then they dropped it down to 15% at one point, or it is at 15% for certain things. I don't... Uh, for some, Yeah, for certain things, but not for others, which is, like, the very confusing thing. Yeah, because they had done some appeasement at one point, and then now with the stupid epic case um they're really uh they're really putting uh, their their feet in their collective mouths yeah it's not, i mean i follow so i follow a lawyer who like uh, uh, does like the like daily updates of this kind of stuff it's not it's not going well over there no no but like which which major corporation do you root for yeah, and that's the whole point is, like, what do we really do at this race to the bottom? Uh, because we are nothing if uh, not into the business of bumming our listeners out. I know. I, I mean, look, Brian takes 30% of my soul every time I uh, <laughs> I podcast with him. 30% of nothing is still nothing, Angelo. <laughs> Last point to make before you can get in there on the, on the tech side of things is I linked you to a thread by a YouTube personality known as Kelsey Lewin, um, who was describing the fact that, like, there are a lot of um, companies now that create... Um, physical only releases so for example super rare games is one of these um that publishes games um usually digitally on a variety of of places and now they're offering um super rare uh, physical only switch games that are only available for a limited amount of time i've heard about these things um we we both watch game sack and he's taught he's talked about how he'll buy the physical copy of games almost every single time right there right the, a lot Which is these... fine because there there is there is an online component to this. Like you can buy this. Where in this case, they're um, one of the games. I think they're topping out at like five thousand physical copies, and that's it. They're not allowed to distribute digitally at all. Okay, yeah. So then only five thousand people get to play this one game. No, only a thousand people get to play this game because four thousand of them will probably keep them sealed oh. and ready to resell. Yes, collectors. Which is, uh, I, we could do a whole episode about that, but everything is being commodified, right, Angelo? And it's, it's kind of crazy now. Like, the upsurge, I don't know if you've paid attention to this, probably not, but the upswing in um, the Pokemon trading card um, uh, marketplace is, like, insane since the pandemic started. Um, graded comics, graded video games, video game boxes, graded other kinds of cards. Like, everything's getting graded and sold. I have hockey cards still somewhere from, like, the early 90s. So what you need to do, Angelo, is you need to check to see if their corners aren't bent. And then they're all in they're fa- actually, they're actually all in fantastic, fantastic uh, condition because they were kept. You say that now, but believe me, I've watched um, some of these people on uh, great cards and uh, that you'd think that was the case. But a lot of the time it's not. I swear mine are kept all in really good condition. The problem is, is I collected cards when everybody else was collecting cards. So most of them are worthless because there's so many of them out there. So just flood the market then in that case. I have Buffy the Vampire Slayer cards. I'm very proud of you for that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just, I just, I find this very unfortunate um, that this is the space in which we are in, in which um, people are signing deals that aren't favorable to them, but will also net them a lot of money in theory. If you're trying to sell physical over digital, NFTs, Brian, NFTs. Is that where we're going next? Yeah. 
uh, I'm going to grade NFTs for a living. Like, watch this. It, within the five years, that's going to be a thing that exists. Anyways, uh, shout out to FanHouse. Good luck to you and uh, the app that you are um, pushing into the world. I think it's a really good idea. I hope that uh, there is more leeway in the, in the ecosystem. It's pretty much of a bummer um, that you have to uh, fight for the right to be a creator. And I use the term creator in terms of like app creation, not content creation. And then also um, uh, deal with being in these marketplaces that are hostile to you continuing to want to be um, uh, a viable service to content creators. Wow, look at you. For the people. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, and with that in mind, Angel, let us head on over to the very spicy paranormal section. Let's go. What could space be? What could it be made of? What the heck is all those lights out there? Is it just a black curtain with holes in it? I don't know. I'm trying to find out. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density, and as always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So this week, we're gonna continue on to the like the infamous like a uh, Twitter hate train. I guess is the best way of putting it. Um, with your uh, favorite cast of characters and mine, um, really, we're gonna talk about decades-old issues that uh, because everything old is new again in the UFO circle or the UAP circle, I apologize. Um, we're going to be talking about the MJ-12 or Majestic-12 program. Now, before I begin things, Angelo, your amount of research um, is very interesting to me because you linked me to a webpage that I feel may be the entirety of your research about this topic. Um, do you care to read the title? It's made me laugh. Of the webpage. Well, because it just... So this is an older... Um, it's from last year, actually. But it just shows how people that aren't really in the know are easily duped by this type of stuff. So this is somebody talking about the true story behind the Majestic 12 is even wilder than Umbrella Academy. Who are the Majestic 12 and what are their real life origins? And so it's making it seem like the Umbrella Academy was like playing on something real, but it's not. Like well, it's just like, I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, a long-held kind of like a tradition, right? So the fourth kind, for example, like the movie that Rob from Our Strange Sky subjected me to, to last year sometimes is like based on a true story, but not really based on a true story. You know, there's a lot of that going on. So the Majestic 12 has appeared in the sort of like um, the Zetgeist yet again because of the fact that like people keep asking Lou Elizondo about MJ-12. And he says, no comment. It could be real. It could be vague. It could, sorry, he, what did he say? He said, he said rogue or official. That was his answer. He's very noncommittal. It's so when frustrating that this guy's well, the face of this. Let me explain to you my real frustration is that his lack of comment or denial then fuels so many other people wanting to get in on believing that because his lack of a comment is there, therefore Majestic 12 is a serious uh, contender and a serious power player in the 1947 Roswell crash and um, its subsequent research. So Majestic 12, Angelo, you and I have talked about this um, before and you were saying something and I just cut you off. So I'm going to let you go ahead and then I'm going to talk about a brief history of MJ-12. Well, a couple of things is first, uh, Luis Elizondo is seeming worse and worse and worse as like a front person for this thing because we've said this before, but it looked like he was into UFOs this whole time and now like he got into the military part of it and said, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be part of this uh, UFO UAP slash let's look at this thing uh, more seriously. And you're realizing he, he's trying to prove a point he already believed. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, the thing is, like, that's just the classic way of, like, setting up a thesis um, uh, after you've decided on your thesis. Yeah, it's becoming more and more clear that this is total. This is not some guy who was, like, straight-edge military dude, uh, realist, you know, didn't believe in any of this, and all of a sudden came to it, like, like he was Mulder, not Scully. <laughs> right like yeah and i mean the thing is like he claims that he was only uh had only become interested in this after his like army stint or his uh is it his army stint? i can't remember like his like military. his uh, uh his military stint i can't remember which branch um because my brain is fried right now because it is really hot in this room um which is great for recording um but yeah so you know his non-committal answer to mj12 in the zodiac program clearly means that something's going on well, that's the problem is that he has a bit of clout and now a no comment from him is like, oh boy, it's like yeah, he's like Obama he was, uh, all of a sudden. He was on the Richard Dolan podcast a couple weeks ago. He's done a bunch of podcasts and everyone seems to ask, want to ask him about this because everyone wants to seem uh, sycophantically to get that soundbite of non-comment, right? Yeah. And, you know, you bringing this up reminded me of I, what I think is the first time I heard of Majestic 12, MJ12, and that is in an episode of... The old series, I can't remember if it was NBC or CBS, Dark Skies. Yeah, of course, 1997, I want to say. Something like that. With um, It was uh, Jerry Ryan's like first show, I think, uh, with Eric Close as well. Uh, and I remember this, the episode with Carl Sagan where he was tasked to join MJ-12. And um, real life, Carl Sagan, I'm sure, was part of MJ-12. Did we ever talk about Jerry Ryan's Obama connection? No. <sighs> All right, let's get into this. So um, in the mid-2000s, uh, Jerry Ryan's ex-husband, Jack Ryan, was running... Jack um, Ryan from the J yes, Tom Clancy <laughs> books? <laughs> from, yeah, exactly. So he was running Free West Senate in Illinois. And what had happened um, is that uh, uh, their divorce papers had become public and then um, it revealed that he was uh, pressuring Jerry Ryan to go to like swingers clubs and like things like that, like very sordid things, right? So what had happened there is that uh, <laughs> uh, Jack Ryan was publicly shamed, drops out of the race. Obama at that time was running as a you know the Democratic uh, candidate for Senate. Um, Alan Keyes runs for the Republicans, loses. Obama wins by a landslide, thereby entering huge um, um, uh, political life and, um, you know, the uh, Democratic elite started eyeing him. So without Jerry Ryan revealing the contents of her divorce papers, we have no Obama in the White House. Well, it goes a step further. You know which senator took him under his wing when he got to the Senate? Who? Harry Reid. <laughs> well, there you go. We're done. Yeah. We're done. Let's just close Full this episode circle. off. circle. So, so to those who don't know, Harry Reid, of course, is a huge, um, um, we need to reveal the truth now kind of person. And so I respect him wanting to make this evidence public. He seems like one of the saner components to this whole like oh, uh, yeah. UAP circus of 2021, like in terms of like uh, being able to action on things. Yeah. And he's not, he's not uh, like a UFO, like nutter that thinks there's uh, lizards and stuff. Like he knows Obama's not a lizard person and uh, he worked with him. And actually, like Harry Reid features prominently in in the Promised Land, Obama's book that I'm still reading because it's very long. Yes, well, Harry Reid is takes the angle, and I think it's a fair one, and more so of like if we're spending government dollars, we want to see what these government dollars are being spent on. Yeah, which I think is fair. And again, we come to the we're both in agreement that if there's weird stuff flying around in the sky that we don't know what it is, we need to figure out what it is. 
Yes. So um, with that in mind, I uh, like 10 minutes or five minutes ago said, let us start talking about Majestic 12, though we haven't started really talking about Majestic 12. So uh, the Majestic 12 commission was purportedly a commission. Um, it feels it just feels so cyclical. And I'm so angry about this because we talked about this like 20 years ago. OK, so uh, Harry S. Truman uh, post 1947 Roswell crash erects this like uh, committee of like 12 um, um, uh, members of like, like not necessarily high ranking, but like mid rank and high ranking government officials to explore this crash and explore, uh, you know, um, uh, extraterrestrial life and all of that. But did he? That's a good question. Did he? Right. Right. Like, was Truman involved so, at all with Roswell apart from, oh, one of our mogul balloons crashed? We have to keep this hush hush. So let's say it was an alien. So let us take that, right? So let us take that. Um, um, so there is the, um, how do I put this nicely? There is the text itself. And then one sort of like, uh, you know, one degree removed. We then talk about how this came to be. So um, in the late 70s, interest in the Roswell crash started to sort of like pop up in pop culture again after kind of lying dormant um, since, uh, you know, 47 onwards. And so in the early to mid 80s, you know, there's kind of this like this weird uh, web of like conspiracy kind of growing amongst that. So in the early 80s, um, ufo uh, ufologist Stan Friedman um, receives a packet, I guess like that is the best word, a packet of documents. Um, Did it have a so, thumbprint on it? No, no. Too bad. So uh, Jamie Shandera and Stan T. Friedman and Bill Moore all receive sort of like a similar amount of packages. And so it's like this, the, this like stack of like 12 or 13 documents that kind of purport the existence of a secret government committee to explore um, um, uh, you know, UFO spacecraft. And, you know, on paper, it sounds plausible because they were concerned with these UFOs back then, right? Like, uh, what is it, the, the Battle of L.A., and then there was the UFO um, flap over Washington. Like, these were concerning events. What's in the sky? What's going on? We don't know. Could it be another attack, right? There were all these wars going on. World War II was still fresh in the minds of people, right? So... They wanted to figure out if there's something in the sky. So this is totally plausible. Where it goes off the rails is that it starts talking much more in depth about aliens and things like that. Yeah, like the Roswell clash and like what to do with the, the spacecraft and and all of that. So um, of course, Stan T. Freeman, you know, rest his soul, uh, a very interesting ufologist. Well, you know, I one you of and my I favorites, I'd say. Yeah, he falls closer in line to the way that we believe. He loves evidence. But, you know, one of his biggest issues, and we've talked about this, was his staunch belief in that these documents are real, despite the fact that they're discrepancies that he can explain away, and I've watched him do that. And I'm going to link in the show notes to a typical um, uh, uh, talk that he gives from 20, 2015. So the Alien Cosmic Expo in 2015. He gives, like, a 70-minute presentation all about these uh, different documents. And did how, he say Cosmic yeah. Watergate? No, thankfully. No, he did not use his, his infamous catchphrase. Um, but he talks about, you know, his... <laughs> and I didn't know this. And incidentally enough, a couple weeks ago, I was listening to an old episode of Coast to Coast where he was on. And I guess it never clicked, but I didn't realize that he and Carl Sagan were classmates. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And they've and I knew that they had debated each other on the, the merits and the existence of extraterrestrials and, you know, um, alien life forms and all that. But yeah, they were classmates um, back in the day. So I find that really interesting. So, yeah. So the MG12 documents, of course, you can find them. They're kind of like online everywhere in PDF format. And uh, there is a thought that um, and I tend to believe that this is probably the correct one, just based on Occam's razor, that somebody put that there to mess with people. They put them in the National Archive where these documents were reportedly found to mess with people. I mean, the government's been known to do that. Just like look at 
all the stuff they've done. What's I what I can't think of the title right now. What did they? What was that thing called where they gave people LSD? Oh, oh, I mean the Tuskegee experiment, for example. No, right? but that was really bad. But no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying more specifically. Oh, you're talking about MK Ultra? Yes, MK Ultra, which is close. MJ, MJ12, MK Ultra. Who knows? Is this like is this like a baby's like first r- rhyming story here? Yes. <laughs> um, Angela, have you ever looked at the documents? Years ago. Yeah, same, same. Um, and I deemed back then that it was ridiculous. So um, something interesting that I also found out. Um, so Howard Bloom, who actually has a really good book called Out There that I really, really enjoy. Um, he came out and uh, explained that the term Majestic 12 had sort of been in the UFO community um, prior to the discovery of these uh, documents. Um, apparently, Bill Moore asked a National Enquirer reporter to collaborate on a novel called Magic 12. Mm, okay. And so uh, Bill Moore being one of the three, right? Apart from Jimmy Shandera. So what the, when he got this, did he say, ooh, I was right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, it's just like this interesting confluence of events, right? Where like we, you, you and I, um, we, our burden of proof is so high, but yet a lot of UFO Twitter um, is frothing at the mouth to want to believe in discredited documents um, about MJ-12 that I thought were late to press um, decades ago. And like, while I can enjoy the idea of its uh, existing um, and things like that. I just, I can't wrap my, ran- my brain around the authenticity of them. And also, of course, something to remember is that the MJ-12, uh, everyone listed off was like dead by the time this came out in the 80s. And it's what you said. Everything old is new again. There's been this resurgent uh, interest in UFOs by major major publications and TV sources, right? Like this is not uh, uh, like a current affair that's looking at this. It was 60 Minutes, uh, New York Times, New York, the New Yorker, all these places are looking at UFOs with a serious bent, not in like jokey, oh, who are the green aliens? Like when, no. when, and like we talked about with Chris last week, it, it went from like entertainment to to a source of like dogmatic ride or die belief. Yeah, well, like what was that government governor Symington or whatever, where he came out with the green alien just to joke about the uh, yeah, Phoenix Fife Symington, yeah, yeah, exactly. So. This is this is not a, in a jokey way. They're taking this really seriously. The military is getting involved. People are asking questions. There's, you know, they convened the whole committee to look at this and determine that it's BS anyway, or it's not aliens. Of course, you know the report hot off the presses when we were recording last week. Yes, um, which leaves more and like once again. So people, so the New York Times. And I don't have you had the chance to read there? Yeah. Because once again, like the government. Okay, I'm I'm gonna get a brain cramp with this one. So. The government claims that they are not known objects. So there is a camp of people who jumps to the conclusion that automatically they are otherworldly. Did you just see an alien? Are you creeping around? I don't know. I'm hearing noisy, noises behind me. Oh, I mean, it might be the G-man at your door. Yeah, no, I think it was my wife. <laughs> um, do you know what she does with most of her day before I forget? She teaches young children. Can you confirm that? And I only ask because maybe she's a spy. Okay, so it's funny you say that because the kids were saying, uh, they were asking where she was. And I'm like, well, she might be a spy. Well, there you go, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the New York Times article comes out. Um, obviously, like uh, Twitter being a microcosm of the world in certain ways, but others not. Like no one truly cares about this article except for those who are in the know. Um, and so like, uh, you know, they're like, oh, uh, like to me as a logical person, if the government had black budget projects that they were working on, they definitely would not admit to it until they were good and ready. Well, of course not. So 
I'm starting to wonder, is this like smokescreen for something else where they're like, oh no, like these are our projects of like our most advanced aerial stuff and other military units caught whiff of it and they were looking at it and they didn't know what it was and now all this started so we have to like cover it with a cover-up? So it's funny you say that because there is a belief amongst certain people that the MJ-12 documents are actually a cover-up for, um, it's like a disinfo campaign to hide other covert activities at the time. Well, that's kind of smart. Yeah, and I mean, like, obfuscation is something that the government's really good at, too. Uh, once again, like, I was on the internet this weekend, and I kind of, have you ever seen the movie Brazil, like, Terry Gilliam's Brazil? No, I never saw it. I've heard of it. Okay. It's all about, like, uh, oversized bureaucracy and things like that. Like, the government is nefarious. They're just stupid, a lot, like, largely so. And they, they also, there are many tentacles that operate independently of one another. Well, I'm reading a book called The Premonition um, by Michael Lewis. Is that his name? Yeah, the guy who did, um, he did, uh, uh what's it called, the, the Big Short and uh, Moneyball and all that, and it's about the pandemic. And, oh, boy, does it open up how, uh, like, hard it is to steer anything in the government. And every time a new administration takes over, they just throw everything else in the trash and start over. And well, do you remember uh, infamously or famously the, uh, the, the fact that uh, ex-President Donald Trump did not understand that, like, the <laughs> most of the employees in the cabinet don't stick around in a transition of power moment. Yeah, well, you kind of see this in the <laughs> in the in the book. Um, yeah, I, I I think Trump maybe wasn't ready to be president. I figured out what that the is noise here. is. It's raining. Oh, okay. Well, that is neither here nor there. But I just you want to talk about MJ twelve and like the idea that like a government would admit to a secret black budget project if it wanted to until it was good and ready. So. Um, I mean, like, and once again, this is conjecture. I don't have any proof on this, but it is fun to talk about in that, like, maybe uh, they are leaking a lot of this information to let their um, um, supposed enemies, namely China and Russia, know that they have this kind of tech. Oh, that's, that's actually a really good idea. Um, like, once again, conjecture. I'm not feeding the trolls here, but in terms of, like, who benefits from what? And I keep asking myself that, right? Like, who benefits from the MJ-12 documents being real? No one except people whose um, threshold... Uh, for believability is like way lower than you or I. Yeah, and it would be smart to actually start confusing people about what they have, right? Like they don't, they don't want to reveal all their cards, and uh, and say, oh yeah, well yeah, no, we have this really amazing new technology, and uh, we're just we haven't told anybody about it, but oh, you found it, thanks. No, yeah, exactly. they'd rather say it's aliens. But what's more plausible that aliens are visiting us and just popping in, popping out, like leaving blurry photos, uh, sometimes kidnapping people um, with no way of them proving anything? Or uh, is the government covering something up th about the technology they possess and they don't want anybody to know about it? What's more plausible? So let's, uh, so let's, let's take that to another extreme, right? So you or I are alien beings, Angelo. Okay. We are a border spacecraft. All right. Why do we come to Earth, firstly? Secondly, why don't we reveal ourselves? We have nothing to lose, right? We are uh, a, a technologically superior alien race. Why are we um, um, hiding in the dark? Why are we, you know, obfuscating our presence? Um, what are we gaining from this, right? And that's the thing I always ask myself these days about these things. Is like, okay, so if I am to believe the the firestorm, the dumpster fire that is UFO UAP Twitter, then like alien disclosure is imminent. Aliens are here. Why haven't they revealed themselves? What kind of deals have they made with the U.S. government or any sort of like government power, right? Because it's so much. It's so funny to me to think that, like, we are obviously always dealing with the U.S. government vis-a-vis -vis aliens. Like, yeah. that is, like, 
you know, American exceptionalism once again. Yeah, it's like saying, you know, oh, but do we reveal ourselves to the ants when we study them? Or well, yeah, we kind of do. Like, or do we reveal ourselves to you know we're studying whales? Yeah, we we even try to talk to them. So it's like, yes, if there's aliens. And even if they're more advanced than us, they're going to try to communicate with us just like we do with animals when we research them. Well, one, and then two, like, once numbers-wise it make more sense for a sentient alien race to go uh, hang out with the Chinese numbers-wise, right? Because there are way more Chinese inhabitants in the world than there are anywhere else or any other kind of people, right? And, like, in such a concentrated form. But they might know that they have labs there where there's leaks and stuff. That, that's another thing. Um, um, the discourse on that is very interesting. I, some compelling evidence as to perhaps it being an accidental leak and not a bioweapon. Let's not talk about the craziness that is, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, bioweapons. Yeah. Uh, no, I, but I, sorry to distract you, but sometimes I like distracting you. It makes a lot of sense, right? Like the most populous nation, that's maybe where they'd go. Do we hear about a lot of alien reports out of China, the problem is, is there's so much control over what gets out of China that we probably... Well, I was going to say, there's, anyway. such, there's so much of a lockdown that even if there was, we wouldn't necessarily be sure as to whether or not it, it has happened. But like right? even India, right? Like there's so many people in India and we do we hear about... We don't hear much about per UFOs capita, anywhere other than in the West. Per capita, um, uh, and I did some rudimentary research into this a couple weeks ago because a, a similar question entered my brain. And per capita, Indian UFO sightings are are way lower than they are in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, not the Western Hemisphere. Oh my God! Uh, in the West, in terms in of the West, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So to me, it's like these are really interesting concepts because I, I just feel like these are matter of fact questions that we need to ask ourselves: who benefits from this? Who gains from what? What is the point in all of this? Right. And the thing is that like you and I obviously treat this as like entertainment. There's a lot of sighing that goes on um, when we talk about, you know, UFO, UAP, Twitter. Um, there's a lot of people who are really interested who just joined, um, you know, the discourse. And so they don't necessarily know the historical kind of context of a lot of these things. So it's funny to see the, the or, like Ouroboros, like the tail eating itself over and over again. I just kicked my poor cat back. So I didn't realize she was there. The, is it maybe, you know, when we came into, you know, having this as a hobby of something we like to look at. You know, the first UFO book I looked at, I was in like grade two or grade three, but it was one book that I looked and poured over because that's all I had access to. Same thing for you. You Like you grew up in the 90s, I grew up in the 80s, but still like at that early age, we didn't have this deluge of information and really bad YouTube videos giving us poor information and Stuff you, you know, we're, we weren't inundated. We got, came to this slowly, right? Yeah. Maybe the inundation of information for people coming into it now, you it's know, too much, too fast. Yeah, it makes them less knowledgeable because of all the knowledge that's available to them. And you know, this is not me poo-pooing like the internet and how oh, it's better. We just should go back to books. No, like it's great having every all the resources. The problem is, it's like a fire hose. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, and uh, we talked about this last week, too, about media literacy and things like that. Like, to a certain point, um, you know, uh, uh, failing to trust the narrative that is given to you is kind of a hallmark of, uh, you know, the Internet existing these days and content existing these days, right? Yeah, exactly that. Um, that being said, Infowars.com, uh, 15% off. Just use the code DOUBLEDENSITY. 
It'd be so funny if that code actually worked. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, I, I, I hear you and I agree with you in that like so much uh, content exists out there that you can't really discern what's true or what's not because it's all very arbitrary. So you need to sort of parse through things um, in a measured manner, which I think you and I have done historically, but a lot of people who are younger who haven't had the chance to breathe. And I think that's a larger issue in terms of like information generally is that like we don't let anything breathe. No. And, and if you're new to Double Density, go back and listen to our entire back catalog for uh, a non-deluge of information. Let's start with that, though. And it's like, this is something that I want to point out that I'm just, you know, uh, 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 mad at, I guess. Like, uh, stats-wise, our first episodes are best-performing episode because people keep clicking on it. Stop clicking on the first episode. Yeah, it is terrible. Like, we're, it's not good. I, I, I was talking really quiet. I was whispering, wasn't I? It was awful, yes. I had to turn you up a bunch. My wife made fun of you for it. Yeah. She wasn't even your wife yet. No, it's true. She was some woman I waved to on. No, that's not true at all. Um, by then, I was, I was in a fully committed relationship with her. Um, but yes, to come back to the point at hand, so much information is out there. Um, parsing it, it takes time and we don't give ourselves time because the modern news cycle is so quick. And especially like you see this with UAP UFO Twitter, that everything is the truth all of the time. Yeah. And this, you know, the, referring to it as UAP UFO Twitter, this is a new thing, right? Like it's, I feel like so many people have come into this in just the last year. Yes. Uh, there's been a, like I was saying, there's a lot of people who are very interested and have entered because of the fact of the Leslie Keen New York Times article, the 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 Tom DeLonge to the Star stuff, the yeah. Lozano stuff. Like, uh, there's just a lot there. I read that Leslie Keen book years ago, years before her New York Times article. I was like, oh, this is the UFO lady. I kind of mentioned this last week too, and that you know, the person writing a UFO article for New York Times is like a hardcore believer in UFOs. Yeah, there's no surprise there, right? Um, with that in mind, I don't want to give too much credence to UFE, 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 uh, UAP UFO UEFA? Twitter. There's uh, the world. UF, they're having the UEFA. UEFA Cup now, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Euro 2020 Cup. Very confusing to me. Yeah, it's like they're time travelers. I wish they were. Do um, you think John T. George is in attendance? He'd know who won. So um, there is a wild match, and I really, true not, truly, truly do not care about the the 2020 cup but um there's an england scotland match at wembley stadium that um uh, i mean like english soccer hooliganism is like well known like people have died and stuff like i'm just it's gonna be a weird one there on friday so two days from now when this comes out yeah and i i think the euro format's different right usually it's just like one host country i don't think they're doing that so well there you go um, I think this is a good place to end one, episode 165 of the Double Density Podcast. And I did make sure this week to uh, make sure that we were actually on episode 165. Yeah, because 166 is when Luis Elizondo shows up, right? Y- he's doing smaller podcasts. You know, we could probably grab him. I'm, and I'm being completely honest with you. Yeah, I don't think he'd like what we've said about him, though. No, we'd ha- I would force him to listen to like 10 minutes of what we said and then sort of converse with him um, in, a, in a... Not in a bad faith kind of way, just in a very measured kind of way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he's been on a podcast that one of our guests hosts, right? Like, in, uh, he was on Zach's show. Zach treated him with a lot of respect, but... That's true, that's and, true. And Zach doesn't buy into everything Elizondo says, right? So, like... No, very he, discerning yet again. Yeah. I just love how we keep plugging our friends, you know? Yeah. Uh, Chris... Uh, Zach, yeah, Zach's podcast is amazing. If you uh, if you want to go listen to something else that's that's not this after you're done, but of course don't don't jump to that podcast. Finish our podcast first. Yeah, finish. Yeah, this don't hang first. up right now. Hang no, up. Yeah. That's what you do, right? You're because you're listening to this on a phone, right? So you yeah. hang up everything. One nine hundred double density. Yeah. No, you know, I have Chris's to spell podcast that out. And Rob's shows. Rob has uh, some excellent stuff on, and he has this good uh, music podcast too. His co-host a bit 
crappy though. Yeah. All right. Well, let's not talk about that right now. But um, um, we may have Rob on next episode because he and I have a lot of feelings about all this, and I know that he wants to unleash his fury in a way that's like way less measured and more um, uh, fun and free willing. So we'll see. This has been it for episode one sixty five of the Double Density Podcast. Angela, where can people find us? At doubledensity.net, and there's also our um, YouTube channel. No, there's a, we do have a YouTube channel, don't we? Yeah, we used to put up episodes, but it's dead. Yeah, well, because should we start that up again? D- does anybody listen to podcasts on YouTube? A lot of people do, yes. Well, they, they don't listen to this one. Are you crying right now? No, I had had something in my eye. <laughs> no, it's Allard. Like, I finally, it's kind of raining now. That's what the noises were before. Uh, but uh, yeah, allergy season has been uh, unkind to me. I'm uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Angela also forgot to mention that we are on Twitter, Twitter at double That's underscore where I was going with that, and then you right until you had your moment of crying here on on an episode. Um, I get the, nervous the, when you tell me to the do the mystery. Like, the spirit of MJ12 moved you to such degree, and you believing these documents um, um, so with like a righteous conviction that to question them uh, makes you sad. I just hope you don't get a visit from the guy that's on that card. <laughs> He's going to show yeah. up in the middle of the night. That's going to be your sleep paralysis. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I hope not. We'll figure things out. Um, but yeah, so uh, tune in next week as we try to debunk uh, other sets of papers, right? I don't know. We might go after the Bible code people. That sounds like a fun time. Yeah. The um, What about uh, the Constitution? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I forgot to mention that Angelo is now one of those like uh, um, January 6th super patriots. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. But he's stationed in Canada. They won't give him cool guns. It was funny. I, uh, I was at the bookstore this week and I sent you a picture of like the true crime section with like the biography of one of our prime ministers in it, which is kind of funny. Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, Miss Shelton or the truth, only time will tell. Um, uh, governments are sham. And with that, this has been it for episode 165 of the Double Density Podcast. Angel, I will see you on the internet where you continue to answer my tweets on the Double Density <laughs> <laughs> Twitter profile page. Yeah. And the Apple App Store is a conspiracy. Did you know that? There we go. Um, Angela, see you then. All right. I'll, take, I'll just take 30%. Thanks.